This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and we are now sponsoring a series of discourses, some of them quite historical, from Harav Aaron Lichtenstein, the Rosh Hashiva, Bishiva Taratzion. Thank you very much for kind words. This afternoon, I met one of the Rosh Hashiva here, who uh, came in, said hello, and then uh, he asked, he said, well, I hear you that you're speaking here tonight. I said, yes. And he apparently had seen the sign, knew the topic. And uh, then the facial expression, uh, somewhat quizzical, which I took to be somewhere between a smile and a smirk, he said, uh, well, I suppose you discuss all about the issues in Nazi soil, the politics, we've gone gone there for 30 years, and et cetera, et cetera. So, Lest anyone who may have come here under the misconception that these are the things that I was going to discuss, she therefore should find him or herself uh, subsequently disappointed, uh, let me clarify at the outset what I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to speak about any of the lively or current aspects of the announced topic. I'm not going to discuss Shalab Saloni, not the Messes Chachmatayre, not patronage in our Israel or here, nor the internecine struggles within or between the Haredi and the Datilumi communities. I shall pay only scant attention at most to the time-worn theme of Datu Medina. These are all interesting and unquestionably worthwhile topics, but also certainly well beyond the ken of my more general discussion this evening. What I am going to discuss is perhaps more difficult to pin down, but in general terms, I do want to delineate it at the outset. I want to define how I think a Bentayra, the Turk community in general, should approach the political order as a whole, or specific issues arising within it. Now, of course, to some, and that was alluded to in Michal's introductory remarks, there is a prior question. Should the Torah world, they ask, be politically engaged at all? And some of them reply with a resounding no. And this for several reasons. At the level of priority, particularly given the current dearth of able and committed leadership, it is argued that it is a shame to waste the time and energies of the spiritually sensitive and gifted upon such mundane trivia as politics. If the criterion for determining when one should sacrifice Talbud to Masa is that which emerges from the Gemara made cotton, Nisig Allah and Ramam, Pagimich Stamutere, the criterion being whether Efshar or Efshar as Sesar de Acherib, then surely the Political arena is one in which there are many who are most eager to be Bagdiacherim who are anxious and feel that are able to manage. Moreover, being spiritually gifted is no assurance of political skill or success. Ravnevia became a Chavir Knesset some years back in our Israel. Dr. Borg rightly commented that the Tilumi community had exchanged a fine Rosh Hashiva for a poor politician. 
And a more general plane, however lofty one may find Plato's exhortation to entrust government to philosopher kings, the result of historical attempts to implement that council, starting with Aristotle's tutelage of Alexander the Great, have been less than gratifying. Moreover, there are those who contend, as did Matthew Arnold in Culture and Anarchy, the adoption of a partisan stance by a spiritual figure renders its opponents imperviously resistant to all his pronouncements, whatever the area. Or, worse still, that he himself, as a result of his immersion in the mainstream of politics, may find himself debased, his tone turning both pontifical and shrill. These are weighty considerations, and surely we ignore them at our peril. Nevertheless, as a general rule, I think this conclusion needs to be rejected categorically, I might almost say axiomatically. Obviously, very special individuals need to be considered independently. Who would have wanted the Gros to curtail writing his Beurim in order to involve himself with the selection of the Parnassim of the Vilna Kehile. But as a general rule, the counsel of disinterestedness, to use Arnold's phrase, although he himself, as biographers noted, was ambivalent about it, and oscillated between distance and engagement with reference to the social and political scene, as a general rule, I think the counsel of disinterestedness even for those spiritually sensitive, capable, and gifted, ought not, cannot be accepted. Chazal's position on this issue, I think, is quite clear. We turn for a moment to the Gemara Shabbos, the Hei, the Nvov, says that and it goes on to quote a mockery person has it within his capacity to protest against certain actions part of the members of his household and he didn't do so he's then regarded as culpable as liable for the actions of members of his household if he's a person with a wider circle of influence who has the capacity for influencing the actions of people of the whole city then he's liable for what is done or not done by the entire city if the range of his influence is wider still, worldwide or national in its impact, then he is held culpable with regard to the entire orbit over which he has some degree of influence. In consequence, says Rav Popper, that the entourage of the Berish Galuta, since they in effect hold the reins of government in their hands, they are indeed liable for Kulialb. Literally speaking, the whole world, but let us translate that more modestly as the whole community, the whole society. Now, 
if this notion of responsibility the civic plane obtains with reference to Mir Mechoy, one could have protested. Then the potential not simply to protest but to initiate, not simply to deter but to move, and to move positively, then Allah has come over Chama. Chazal speak of appointing a pound of Salatzibu, speak of the appointment of a Talmud Chachom, evidently assuming that Talmud Chachomim are both ready and responsible to serve as a Panosim. But this, I think, certainly our fundamental perception, deeply rooted in Chazal's commitment to dealing with social problems, with moral issues, as they come up within the broader ambience of an entire community. And it surely is the direction which we ourselves should take. Whatever one may think of the, of the specific content of Tikkun, and much of it we surely find objectionable. Its basic concern with Tikkun Oyon is both morally imperative and profoundly Jewish. If war is too important to be left to generals, then surely the whole of the socio-political order is too important an area to be ceded to professional politicians. Spiritual input within our own milieu, meaning that of B'nai Teva, is crucial. It's important to recognize it's not always just a question of whether a given concern is addressed, but how it is addressed. To some extent, it's a question of priority, to which allusion was made previously in the introductory remarks. But sometimes not only priority, but with what degree of intensity and concern, how passionately engaged and involved is a person in addressing a certain problem relating to it. The story that the Rav is fond of quoting, by Isabel, Bessalevi, Zimblisk, so one point, I wanted to appoint someone as in charge of the Board of Education in Brisk. And Rabbi objected. This person was known in the community, that was also his own self-image, as being Mishtamba Yosho, and came. Someone asked Rabbi Sabel, I said, I don't understand. After all, the person is known to be committed and observant, and certainly Torah is part of his life and his outlook. So, why, why do you object to his appointment? Shabbat responded by quoting in Gemara of a comment. Gemara says that if a person is given an object to guard, and the object is gold, needed to be guarded as gold, and he guards it, but only at the level to which a person ordinarily would guard silver. That is not regarded as proper shumire. And He went on to say, with respect to this person, as compared to himself, by miri das gol, be'eme das zilba. For me, Jewish education is gold. For him, he's concerned with it, he's involved, he's interested, he'll act on its behalf, but it's only silver. And in trying to ask ourselves how the socio-political order is maintained and by whom, it's not just a question of whether certain people who are presently involved are concerned about the right issues, but how deeply, how passionately, how intensely. As far as the reservations about spiritual people becoming involved somehow in this mire, 
if major political activity was chosen by, or if you will, chosen for the Adoina Nevim or the Neims Mirot Yisrael, who is to contend that he must needs be more distant from the fray than Moshe Rabbeinu David HaMalach? Disengagement is often a very attractive option. But more frequently than not, it reflects, as with some of the romantics, alienation from an increasingly pragmatic society. Or, to take a very different example, as with the Torah denial of the legitimacy of a given governmental order, or the disillusioning conviction leading to either anarchism or apathy, that political activity is futile as the system is corrupt beyond repair. But if we ask ourselves, what is the healthy, both normal and normative approach, surely not this kind of total disengagement. I fully acknowledge, of course, the trenchancy of the conclusion of Shelley's defense of poetry to the effect that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. And I know, of course, that Marx diverted the course of modern history while theorizing in the reading room of the British Museum. But this, akin to the much debated issues of respective roles of ideas and social forces in molding history, is only a question of mode and venue, not a fundamental relation. The ivory tower can indeed serve as the vantage point of political activity of another sort. Such a vantage point, however, is radically different from the abnegation of political consciousness or the abdication of political responsibility. Whether one's hands are literally to be soiled with the shvir v'shilya of the political process, or only one's creative mind, symbolically so, concern, responsibility, these are spiritual imperatives. Engagement, in some sense, and at some level, is then to be commended. But on which basis, and from which perspective? I believe the basis and the perspective must be dual. In one sense, politics indeed fundamentally diverges from religion. And this in several respects. First, as to the point of departure. Politics as such is inherently, in the literal sense, secular. It is concerned with the cyclone, with the here and now, with Chayisha, and with man as a temporal being, invested with temporal powers, burdened with temporal needs, and charged with temporal obligations. Religion, by contrast, is concerned with Chayoyla, relating to, the, to man as the nefesh Chayo, into which the Benishma breathed the living soul, Vayipach Papavdishmat Chayim, as a transient denizen of what Keats denominated this world as the veil of soul making preparing himself in the antechamber of this world for entry into the Traklin, the palace of eternity. Further, politics regards man by definition. Within the matrix of society, religion largely, although the degree admittedly depends upon one's religious orientation, largely is a solitary being. The human stance is also inherently different. 
Politics deals with man generically as master. Religion as servant. The one relates to the establishment and distribution of power, of resources. The other to Kabbalah Semalchus the dependence which lies at the heart of Avoda. In one sense, of course, it is precisely religion which exalts man by regarding him as endowed with the capacity to reach out to the transcendental. Especially if one assumes with the humanistic tradition within which, of course, with respect to this point, Yahadus is to be placed. Especially if one assumes with this tradition against Luther that the contact can be initiated by man. Nevertheless, from a religious perspective, once contact has been established, man's position and his posture is obviously subservient. Finally, albeit perhaps as an extension of the former re- previous remark antithetically, political man impresses us as predominantly being the organizer. Homo religiosus, preeminently as a creator. So, the point of departure first is quite different. Second, the ends are of course different. At the public plane, one, politics, bespeaks malchusa de are, the other, malchusa de rekia. For this with respect, uh, one bespeaks malchusa de are within the confines of historical development, the other speaks of Achusu de Rikia with an eye to the eschatological fulfillment of the Ruach Sechariya, Hoya Hashem Lamelech al Kol Horetz, At the private plane, concomitantly, here too there is divergence, the spirit aims being the attainment of mundane happiness, presumably in accordance with some philosophic calculus on the one hand, and the achievement of ultimate celestial beatitude on the other. Thirdly, the means are very different. Not only in as much as specific avenues or approaches are concerned, but with regard to the view of standards. Politics has been aptly described as the art of the possible, and accommodating compromise is essential to its successful exercise. Religion, however, the others certainly, Posits eternal and immutable verities whose absolute character is presumably inviolate. So the differences are clear, and yet, with the possible exception of the last, they need not entail contradiction, but may, on the contrary, be viewed as terms of complementarity, both relating to the same man or woman who is the denizen of both realms and the locus of their interaction. And this in two senses. First, the worlds of Chaya Olam and Chayisho obviously meet within the existential parameters of an individual or community which strives to achieve the former within the context and via the instrumentality of the latter, personally and collectively. We live with an awareness of our dual self and of our need to integrate or balance its components with recognition of the fact that the Rabbani Shlom has implanted us in a world within which Yimein Kemach and a political order essential to the maintenance 
of a social and material infrastructure is kemach of another sort, within which you mean kemach in Torah and reciprocally the reverse, although, of course, the axiological plane, they are by no means to be equated. So there is first the interrelation, the meaning, if you will, of Chai Olam and Chai Second, from a Jewish perspective, the concern with Chai Yishah is itself part of the quest for Chai Yola. This is best appreciated if we examine briefly the Mekiris, the dichotomy in Chazal. The Gemara Mbeitze, after Svav Mbeiz, says, of the Maisel, Rabbi Lazar, let me read, Ton Rabbanon, and he started with a large oilum, and as of course happens, uh, gradually people began to leave. So one group, and another group, and third group, fourth group, fifth group, they left. And with regard to each of them, he made uh, some remark about their occupation, that apparently these are people who are involved with very material things, and therefore they don't have to wear with all of the patience to hear the great title. But the time the sixth group was leaving, then, of course, he was much more exasperated. And uh, he said, these are Bali Meira. These are people who have some kind of curse upon them. What the students? And they were afraid that somehow he's critical of them as well. So their facial composure changed. Fully accepting the view, don't worry. But it's of those leave Chaye Olam, and they go outside to eat, to rest, whatever it may be. Chaye Shah. The goes on to ask, How can one say this is Chaye Olam, Vaiskim Chaye the mitzvah that Simchas Yomte wanted to go and have a good meal. It's part of the mitzvah of Yomte. So the Gemara answers Rabbi Lazar the Taimei the Amar Simchat Yom Tov Reshut. The Tanya Rabbi Lazar Omer Einu Ladam BeYom Tov VeLaOchel VeShotel Yoshev VeShoneh. Rabbi Yeshua Amar Chalkeyu Chesur Hashem Chesur Lachem. But it says that Yom Tov a person has the widest range of options. He can either devote himself entirely to material pursuits, to enjoying himself, of course, the form of simcha and kibudvonik and so on, to eat well, and, or devote himself to spiritual pursuits, and, of course, any intermediate combination that he may desire. So therefore, according to Rabbi the option of foregoing a good meal on Yom Tev in order to hear a long shiur, that option is fully consonant with the Mitzvah Whereas according to Rabbi Yeshua, one apparently has to st- look to strike a somewhat more even balance. 
Gemara here describes the corner of Rabbelezer going out to eat a Sudas Yomtev. This is Chayesha. Why is it Chayesha? Because Simchas Yomtev is Rishus. This means it's Rishus. Everyone says Simchas Yomtev, according to Rabbelezer, Rabbelezer is optional. There's no, there's no mitzvah Simchas Yomtev. It's impossible. So clearly what is meant is not that the mitzvah itself is optional, but the mode of its fulfillment is optional. You could have done it in a more spiritual mode, in a more material mode. That is optional. But anybody who went out in order to eat, to have a good meal on Yom Tov, he is fulfilling a mitzvah of Simchas Yom Tov. He could have done it differently. And the difference between the food and the shear. That difference is not a mitzvah. But the meal itself clearly is a mitzvah. Yet Rabbi describes that since it's taken this material mode, it's chayisha. So the term chayisha in this context is not, does not stand in contradiction to the fact that one is being mekayim a mitzvah. Even more sharply, the point is driven home by striking the mother in Shabbos. Gemara Shabbos the feud says Rove Chazil Ravanune the Kamarich Bitzlote. He saw the Ravanune. He stayed long in Shemeneser. Stayed in a long time, a long time to finish Shemeneser. Moses' response: Amal Manichin Chayi Olam Voskim Chayi Shah. Meaning, as Rashi explains, that instead of finishing Shemeneser quickly, so then he could sit down to learn. Davin's long time, and therefore cuts down on his learning. The learning being described as Chayi Oilam, Chayi Oilam not Abisecheinu, and Tefillah, in as much as the heart of Tefillah al-Pidin is the petitionary aspect, Bakoshe, and the petition is with respect to material needs, by and large, Parnose, health, Binyan Yerushalayim, all kinds of material things. So in comparison with the Isuk B'tayra, Tefillah is described as Chayisho, as opposed to Chayar. Then the Gemara says, Avavnune, he who did uh, daven at length, he thought that Husavaz man filalachud is man toralachud. That, for all the importance of learning, but the balance between the experiential aspect of Tefillah and the concern with Chayisho, Post Chayoylam, this is all part of Avedis Hashem, and therefore one could daven to greater length than Rava would have liked. What we find striking in these Gemaras is that the term Chayisha is used in one sense perhaps with a measure of disparagement as opposed to Chayoylam, but on the other hand, not with reference to the kind of activities that we might have in mind. We talk about Chayesha, some kind of involvement with flitting and fleeting activities of no moment, of no substance. The fact that something is Chayesha, secular, temporal, that does not yet mean you have no worth and of no value. Does anyone has to show imagine for a moment that Robert thought that Tefillah is not a major mitzvah? It's not a central, a critical, and crucial aspect of our religious being, but Chayisho. So the term Chayisho can be taken as being significant, substantive, and not in any way pejorative. And moreover, 
Because as I said before, the Chayesha itself, albeit in a different mode, from a different perspective, is itself part of the broader quest of Avedas Hashem towards Chayyayu. Now, in the, both cases cited from the Gemara, admittedly we are dealing with the actual Kiyum, even at the technical halachic plate of Maisemitz, feeling in the one case, and Simchas Yomtev, in accordance with the Rav's explanation that I cited before, in the other. Surely, however, the fundamental perception that the concern with Chayisha properly motivated and firmly ensconced within the context of Avedis Hashem is in one sense contrasted with Chayi Olam, another sense adumbrated within it, that sense certainly emerges from these Gemaras. And let us be minded analogously famous story with regard to Salanto, Moses and Bob Metzir with regard to division of decision-making processes within a home, that those which are more concerned with, with Miladi Shemaya, celestial matters literally translated, Miladi Shemaya within the purview of the husband, Miladi Ara in the domain of the wife, and first Shabbos uh, after he got married, the soil began to went into the kitchen and began to say a day, cook this, cook that. And of course, the uh, question was raised, that which a person needs in Shabbos can't be it's and in a sense how society its kemach and its food is ordered and organized how it is structured how and by whom and to what end governed that of course is also part of the having dwelt upon the importance even the spiritual importance of concern with the political element let me conclude this section by cautioning that we ought not to exaggerate. First, we need, of course, to be wary of being enchanted, either in practice or in theory, by power. We need to remind ourselves not only of its potential for good, but also of both its dangers and its limitations. The fact which on Passah might mention, sometimes in certain circles in Israel today, even religious circles, unfortunately overlooked. We need to note anew that the stance of Nevim to Malachim, as described in Tanakh, was more often adversarial than supportive. Second, we should remember that the focus of moral existence and the primary avenue towards the resolution of basic human problems is not to be found within the system, but within and through the person. This is, of course, simply good humanistic doctrine. Without denying the significance of social engineering, humanists have always held, and have reasserted particularly in the modern era, that the key lies within and if this truth be the hallmark of classical humanism, then of Yahadus, Alachas Kavavachama. It is not only at the penultimate hour that the recognition should descend, which dawned upon a blessed and 
a famous story in the Gemara of Irizarist, how just prior to his death, he uttered, Ein adavo tolu yalobi, all depends upon myself. It is not only at that hour that the recognition is relevant. So, certainly we need to recognize the value, the importance of the political order and of the involvement in one mode or another. And the mode, of course, needs to be determined as far as the timing, extent, etc. of Bnei Taylor. On the other hand, to be wary of placing excessive emphasis, excessive reliance upon the process.